0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, James Anderson. We are brought to you by WinBet. And I'm really pumped uh, for this week's guest. We've got. Eric Cross uh, who basically does exactly what I do but for fan tracks and I would strongly recommend uh, moving your dynasty league to fan tracks if you're not already on there uh, really appreciate you joining me Eric sorry we couldn't hang out in at first pitch Arizona this year because I wasn't able to make it but uh, really appreciate you hopping on the show with me how you doing
2: I'm doing well thanks for having me on it's always a pleasure tra- talking baseball and prospects with you James
1: Hell yeah. And today we've got a, you know, there's already, I'm already seeing draft boards. People are already doing their, their NFBC slow drafts and everything like that. So I thought we'd, we'd talk about some hitting prospects who uh, could be relevant at least in 2022. Um, you know, there, there's, there's not going to be a ton of guys of note who are going to open the year on the big league roster, but. I mean, we can go. We can go fairly deep with this. We're going to spend a lot of time on on the top guys, the the big names that, that could debut in the first half or so. But um, I mean, there's there's a ton of guys who are obviously going to debut next year, and and um, there's there's just going to be a lot of interesting uh, ADP data that that I've got my hands on, um, thanks to Zach Roto um, on Twitter. But uh, first, I just want to ask you, Eric, what's your? Do you have kind of a general? tendency when it comes to uh let's just focus on hitting prospects and and not really worry about the pitchers but when it comes to like hitting prospects for redraft leagues um i feel like maybe five five years ago six years ago uh you could get decent values on a lot of the best prospects because there was still like kind of a an old school you know don't don't draft prospects uh, type of mindset uh, but I, I kind of feel personally like that there's just not a ton of value to be found on the prospect side of things uh, in recent years. But what 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 about you? What do you think about um, hitting prospects when you're doing your redraft leagues? Are you usually going to end up with one or two or do you usually uh, fade those guys? You
2: know, it's funny. I used to be one that would get, you know, a few prospects. You know, I was all about the upside, but I've kind of gone more with a conservative approach over the last couple of years. I think I've gotten more and more conservative every year. Is you you hit it right on the head, James. I think over the last handful of years, prospects, especially the top tier ones, the elite guys, they've been pushed up a bit in drafts to the point where it's hard to get any return on those guys. They have to hit like 98th percentile outcome to get any return on it. As I think, you know, we've had those rare instances where, like, you know, the Acunas and the Sotos and Tatistas of the world, those guys have kind of caused that. Everyone is hoping they can get the next breakout rookie that they can get um and you know next uh, huge star and you know more often than not it doesn't work out that way those are the you know exceptions to the rule not the expectations as i have always said but yeah i found myself becoming more and more conservative in general with hitting prospects i look at the few of the guys that have you know the, the good hit tool the good approach uh, more so than you know maybe you know the strikeout concerns or the you know the lesser hit tool guys um that i know will probably be you know have a harder time adjusting so yeah, I guess this, the, the bigger hit tool guys, are the ones I tend to kind of flock, uh, flock towards lately.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, think you're, you're dead on with, I mean the, and I, you know, like last year I, I, I took Andrew Vaughn in some leagues. I took Dylan Carlson in some leagues, uh, yeah. took you Brian Hayes in at least one league. Um, and really, I mean, even though those guys were up, uh, right away, uh, you know, you kind of broke even at best with, with some of those. And, you know, obviously fabbing Alec Manoa is going to work out. Um, but I mean, you, you look at what like Phil DeSalt does. Uh, I mean, Jeff Zimmerman talks about this all the time, uh, just kind of prioritizing getting plate appearances. Mm. Uh, that's generally not gonna also align with getting prospects, you know, um, especially if you're being the person who's stashing Kelnick or stashing, franco that means like one of your bench spots is someone who you cannot plug in uh, especially if you're right. in nfbc midweek and everything like that so um it's very interesting but i mean i think every year inevitably there will be some value on the prospect side of things and i don't know if that's going to apply to the first guy we're going to talk about i think <laughs> uh bobby witt jr is kind of in a tier of his own at the very top uh when it comes to prospects hitting prospects for just 2022 and again that that'll be the focus of the show today we're not really uh, going from a dynasty slant here this is just for redraft leagues and uh, the the data that i was able to get from zach and and uh, john fish uh, sent me some as well um, basically suggests that bobby witt already has an adp of roughly uh 73 75 um, so you, you know, you got to take him and granted, I mean, these are, these are some draft and holds, so, you know, any prospect is going to be a bit more appealing in a draft and hold than, uh, than a regular, uh, draft with a seven man bench. But I mean, Bobby Witt at, at pick 73, is that, uh, higher than you would have guessed, especially just considering we're, we're still in November
2: a little bit. Uh, but then I also heard that he went in the third round in one on one of those drafts. So. Uh, that that is too high for me uh even as much as i like bobby witt jr you know around 73 so we're talking like what like the right, right at the five six turn of a 15 teamer that's not bad it's still a bit higher than i'd be willing to go i was hoping he'd go which i knew would probably be a pipe dream i think you know like the 90 to 100 range because you know, i kind of consider it's just me personally my first like five or six players to be a, kind of my core you know team then then after that i like to I could probably take a little more risk than I would in the, in the first handful around. So I'm not saying it's a huge risk, but every prospect is a risk to some degree. Um, I, even I said today, like, he could go 2020 in 2022. That's very realistic with his power speed. But at the same time, I was kind of thinking similar thoughts about Jared Kelnick at this, this time last year. Or so and we saw how that worked out. Um, but yeah, 73, and you got to figure closer we get to opening day, cl- the higher that's going to go. I want to, I want to see where it is in like February.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say like, it, you know, if he, you know, I, I don't really have any reason to think he won't uh, do well in spring training. Uh, that's a you know good environment to hit. Uh, he's going to face some bad pitching. So, you know, if we get to mid March and Bobby Witt has some home runs that have gone viral and, and that type of thing, you can only expect that, that ADP to, to keep climbing. Yeah. Um, I know there, there was that, uh, that report, uh, what was that John Morosi? um, which I don't, I don't know if you even want to call it a report, but, um, speculation, uh, that, you know, they're going to be open to him breaking camp on the big league roster. This is more complicated than ever to talk about because we don't know what the CBA is going to look like. We don't know if they're going to figure out a way for, for guys like Witt to make that opening day roster and have it make sense, um, from the team standpoint. Um, but you know, kind of what it, what are your sort of vibes in terms of, do you think he's up right away? Um, I mean, I, you know, let's not forget like Fernando Tatis Jr. Was up right away. Jason Hayward was up right away. So it, it can happen. Um, but do you think he he's up right away or, or do you think it's more of a, a late April type of thing?
2: I'm feeling more late April. Uh, I just don't see if Kansas city was looking like they'd be a contender, then I'd, I'd be more inclined to think opening day with, with him. But, you know, obviously they're probably not going to contend unless they really surprised next year. So uh, really, especially for that kind of small market team that doesn't really show out the big bucks and free agency, getting that extra year at, at the end of uh, of Bobby Witt, I think will be really appealing to them. So uh, but then again, if he just absolutely crushes in spring training, that could really force their hand because, you know, they already kind of teased it last year. You know, like, you know, we could bring Wit up early. Obviously, that didn't happen. And I think that was more just to appease the fan base than anything else. But if they kind of do that same thing again and then don't bring him up, they might hear from their fans. Not that that should make their, you know, make their decisions for them. But uh, yeah, I think if he's on up by like the end of April, I'd be shocked. But.
1: Yeah, I mean I think uh I mean I think they thought they were going to be more competitive than they were last year and yeah. um I I honestly thought they would be, you know, I thought they were going to kind of have the type of year that the Tigers had. Um and they they were uh, not quite as successful. Um I mean there's just, it's really tough. I I think there's all kinds of avenues for him to actually break camp with the big league club. Um, the CBA could allow that to happen. Uh, he could sign a long-term extension before opening yep. day. Uh, we've seen that happen in recent years. And I mean, he could, he could make it easier for them to offer them, offer him that type of extension with a big spring. Uh, they have, they did kind of hint down the stretch last year with the way they used Adalberto Mondesi that they're not really counting on him as a, as an everyday player. Um, just from a durability standpoint. So um, I, I really don't know. I, I think it's, you know, 50-50 maybe that whether or not he breaks camp or, or doesn't break camp. Um, but let me throw some names at you, like some middle infielders who I think might be going later than Witt. Um And let me get your take on whether you'd rather roll the dice on Wit or take uh, these guys. Okay. Uh, how about Bobby Witt versus Jazz Chisholm just for 2022?
2: Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think I'll I'll lean wit because obviously Jazz has his own inconsistencies uh, with, with the hit tool and the approach. So I'd probably lean Bobby Witt there.
1: How about Bobby Witt versus Jorge Polanco?
2: Polanco's so underrated every year. I might actually lean Polanco, to be honest with you. That, that one's very close. But Polanco's, like I said, so underrated. He had a really good year. I think he's gonna be underrated in drafts again, so I might I might lean Polanco. How about
1: Bobby Witt versus Dansby Swanson?
2: Oh, I love me some Dansby. I'll go Dansby here too. I think he's you know, he he was pretty inconsistent with the batting average. The counting stats were pretty solid. I think he's a I think he's a better hitter than you know, the average would indicate this year. So I'll, I'll go Dansby there as well. These are all pretty close though.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and uh personally I would take all three of those guys over Witt. Um just for 2022 uh you know i I have no idea what what the adp is going to look like in terms of those four guys but um you know you you don't i I think like roster building is so fascinating to talk about um i mean i I just think you it's it's just really tempting to me to just bank value in those kind of first eight to ten rounds um you know you can You can get upside without going after prospects, which is kind of something that we we learn every year and then like forget when March rolls around. Like, you know, Adam Wainwright was a high upside guy (laughs) where he was going last year. I mean, he's absolutely super old. Um, you know, Jorge Polanco, like people weren't talking about him as like, well, think about the upside though with Polanco, right? Like, you know, no one was saying that. Um, so I you know, I think it's it's just one of those things where I am sort of bummed about. Uh, the way it's going to play out, but I just I don't really expect to have much Bobby Witt, and I think that will bring even truer if he has a big spring training. Um, let's move on to this this kind of next sort of tier or, or two tiers, like a tier one A tier or tier two A tier two B. Um, I've got ten prospects here, all of them are uh let's just call them all top 50 prospects most of them are like top 25 prospects but um adley rutchman spencer torkelson riley green josh young nolan gorman um and then i have a, a little bit of a drop off uh to julio rodriguez brennan davis o'neill cruz tristan casas and gabriel moreno uh and we're assuming let's just assume a two catcher league here um do you think, how do you think about those tiers and how I've kind of broken those 10 guys up? Do you take issue with any of the guys in that lower tier not being up with the, the top five? Any of the guys in the top five not being down a, a, a notch? Um, how do you feel about how I've broken those, those sets of five up?
2: No, that's pretty much how I would. The only one I might shift around, maybe move O'Neill Cruz up to the top, but this is pretty spot on. I, I think the top five are all going to be up, you know first two months of the season uh especially the you know josh young i think i think josh young could break camp nolan gorman there's a lot of talk about him being up i was talking with matt thompson earlier he thinks gorman's gonna be up maybe even break camp and obviously there's not much in the way for uh green and torkelson there in detroit so yeah i think all all five of those guys are gonna be up by end of june
1: yeah um what do you think about adley because I, I was kind of surprised uh, that that early ADP data I got from from Zach uh, at Zach wrote on Twitter, two fifty three. I kind of I just I I got this sense or I have this sense that people are just going to go nuts for Adley in March, uh, maybe in February. Like, you know, he's uh, I don't know about you, probably the best catching prospect I've ever ranked. Um, there's, <laughs> I mean, he. I've said this for a while, like, I think like developmentally, he was ready to be up, um, halfway through last season. So I just don't really see the Orioles continuing to kick this can down the road. Um, man, it would be so depressing if they, if they manipulated his super two and waited till June. But what, what do you think about Adley for, for next year?
2: I really like Adley uh, for twenty twenty two in general too. I love Adley. I, I agree. I think he's without question the best catching prospect I've ranked in my time uh, in this industry. I can't think of anybody else that would, I I would put on par with him with the hit tool, the approach, the power, the polish. It's just all the defense. You know, it's all across the board. Like this is guy's got to get some MVP votes in his career, maybe even win an MVP someday. And looking at the you know Baltimore's roster right now the two, like you've got roster resource on fan and the two catchers they have right now projected to be the starter and the backup, Brett Cumberland and Cody Roberts. So <laughs> uh, not really anything in the way there. Uh, both those guys uh, obviously are obviously are not long-term options. So, yeah, I think he's going to be up soon. I'm, I don't know if I'd you know, draft him as my starting catcher, just in case he's not up right away. I, I hate rostering more catches than I need to, uh, especially in a one-catcher league. But if it's a two-catcher league, I would be willing to take him as my second catcher, uh, even like one of the high-end second catchers because uh, if I can just you know get by with a, a fill-in until he's up, uh, even if that's like a month into the season, I think the potential he gives you is a number one type of catcher, even a top five catcher. I think he could be that good this year. So uh, I, I'm going to try to get some shares of Adley this year. We'll see if I succeed in that, though.
1: Yeah, I think that this early ADP is just, it's not going to hold at all. Um, no. <laughs> if you were able to get him, if you were able to get Adley mid two hundreds come March, I would, in a two catcher league, I would, I would probably jump on that. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, we even know like you might just do fine. Even if you just kind of um, t- like took a zero uh, yeah. until he was up, you know, Um,
2: that, that might be, that might be better than whatever right. crap you'd have to pick up.
1: Yeah, or just you take like whoever the best backup catcher is that that you don't think is going to kill your batting average and you're just going to wait wait a few weeks. Um I mean, do you see any way that he's not up in April at some point regardless of what how the CBA shakes out?
2: I don't. I, I really do see him up early. You know, he got the AAA A last year, 43 games there, hit 312, 405 OBP. Uh, so he's he's ready. I don't think there's anything left for him to prove. So it would really, really shock me if he's not up by the end of April.
1: And then these Tigers guys, you know, I think Spencer Torkelson has the much bigger, I think, just general name value, especially among like the redraft crowd, you know, number one overall pick people, people know who Spencer Torkelson is. Uh, obviously the dynasty crowd knows exactly who Riley Green is, um, but how big of a gap, if any, do you see between Torkelson and Green for next year? Do you think that they debut together? Do you think that they're just kind of on this same exact path? And obviously, as the the faces of the, the future there in Detroit, they might just debut kind of around the exact same day.
2: Yeah, I think their debut is going to be pretty similar, like within a few weeks, I'd say. It's funny. They actually played the same amount of games at AAA last year. Both played 40 games for Toledo. I actually, you know, I love both these guys. They're both inside in my top 10, which is pretty much universal at this point. I like Green a little bit more now. You know, I, obviously Torque has the huge, huge power, solid enough hit tool. But Green, I think, is slightly better pure hitter. I think he'll hit for a higher average. Uh, power, obviously, is not on Torque level, but, you know, Green's no slouch there. I think Green could be like a 25 to 30 homer bat in time. And then he brings the speed aspect that Torkelson doesn't bring, even if it's just a... 10 to 15 steals that's still you know that's still pretty solid so uh, i think if they're up similar time within a couple of weeks of each other i'm actually go with green which is i think helpful because i think most people will be going for tour because he has a slightly bigger name like you mentioned number one overall pick etc etc so uh, i think i'm gonna find myself with several shares of green next year
1: yeah um i don't know if man i don't know if i'm gonna end up with either of those guys it's just, it's one of those things where it's just going to be really interesting to watch how they do in spring training. Um, yeah. but I'm right there with you. I have green ranked ahead of torque. Uh, I think it's super close, but I think there is a, if you're just going to compare who's the better value torque or green for redraft, I think it's definitely going to be green. Uh, yep. because I just think he's a little bit more under the radar for the redraft crowd. And I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, uh, torque more raw power, but I, I give a slight edge to green and in the rest of the categories. And obviously there's, there's no, I mean, green's probably not a plus runner, but he's certainly going to steal more bases than torque. Um, right. I I'm right there with you on, on Josh Young being a potential break camp guy, especially if the CBA, uh, gets tweaked. Um, and Nolan Gorman, I mean, this, again, this is very, um, rough ADP data, but he was going, outside the top 450 in these first couple drafts. I mean, you know, he he looked really good at AAA. Uh I I kept waiting for the the strikeouts and uh I mean, he, you know, props to him, he just really cut those into a manageable range. Uh how do you see that that Cardinals cuz we know we know the the Rangers have a spot for young. Um how do you see the Cardinals making room for Gorman? Where do you see him sort of slotting in?
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. I was kind of looking at that earlier today. Obviously, I think, regardless, Tommy Edmund will have a spot on this team. I think he, the value he provides uh, is, is really beneficial to St. Louis. So whether he plays a second or short, I think, he you know, he obviously he, he can play short. So I can see him sliding over to shortstop uh, as their starter there. And then Gorman coming up at second base, obviously he's not going to unseat Nolan Aranato barring, you know, a spring training injury or whatnot. So I think second base is the most likely scenario but i wouldn't be surprised if st louis would bring in somebody um to help that middle infield out but you know edmundo Ed sosa is not the long-term answer there. i think he's a better trip as a backup utility infielder type so yeah i could definitely see if they don't go after and i don't think they go after one of the big shortstops anyway the big five but um if they don't get another middle infielder i could see edmund shortstop and gorman up pretty early and it's funny it's, i used to be i think one of the bigger Nolan Gorman guy, especially after the 2018 draft, I think I had him higher than most. And then I've kind of cooled on him, but uh, he's definitely, like you mentioned, has improved as a pure hitter. Like, you know, he was that huge, huge raw power, but the strikeouts were there. Those have been kind of trimmed consistently over time. I just wonder how much average he hits for, if he's more of a 260 guy with 30 bombs and a handful of steals. But if, if that comes to second base, that's pretty damn valuable. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm liking Gorman for 2022. Not not as much as Green, but yeah, yeah. definitely Like Gorman,
1: and Gorman does have he he has that type of skill set where maybe it takes a couple years before he's really doing it for us in in roto because, like you said, I mean, could be kind of looking at. You know, you could be looking at like Mike Mustakis ish type of production, um, but you don't really know where the batting average is going to be. He's not going to run, um, and you do have that. You know, I I think they probably bring in a shortstop of some kind. Um, That's maybe what not, I'm maybe maybe not. I mean, maybe they roll with Edmund and and Matt Thompson is is pissed off, and <laughs> um, you know, maybe they maybe Gorman. Maybe the DH comes to the NL and, and yeah. Gorman is the primary DH. Um, but right now, it, it is, it's not a super clean, this is obviously where he plays. Um, so uh, that'll be something to watch. Uh, Julio Rodriguez has the second highest ADP uh, just outside the top 200. And, you yeah, know, I mean, I, he's my number one prospect over bobby witt um you know i think he's just going to be an absolute superstar at some point but when do you think we see julio rodriguez in 2022
2: that is the that's the one i've been having the hardest time figuring out to be honest with you and he, he's my number like for me I, i've i have jrod too but it's like basically one a and one b you can't go yeah. wrong either way they're both in the tier by themselves him and witt yeah. and, I, and i would say if i was raking on the highest potential to reach their ceiling or upside, wherever you want to terminology you want to use. I would put J-Rod I think he's the the highest floor of any prospect out there, obviously with an incredibly high ceiling as well. Like this could be an MVP type of player, middle of the order bat, but you know, he only had 74 games last year. missed some time, obviously 46 games at double a. So I, that's the one that I'm kind of staying away from. Obviously I love Julio Rodriguez. I think he's going to be a stud from the get go but I just don't see him up until midseason. I don't think they're going to rush him. They already have a bunch of outfielders and they're talking about just rumors. Obviously it's just rumors at this point, but uh, maybe bringing in some um, Sia Suzuki, Sia Suzuki. I'm not sure how to say his first name. Uh, And obviously the each connection there. So I could see them bringing in another outfielder and rolling with like maybe Suzuki or whoever else they bring in. Plus, you know, Hanager and uh, Kelnick. But uh, yeah, so I'm kind of staying, especially at that ADP and in the, top 225 uh i'm I'm not liking that
1: (laughs) no i mean now again this is um this is rough adp and it is i think we are talking about just draft and holds with this adp so that i mean that definitely matters with rodriguez uh you and i play in tout wars draft and hold is he a guy that you would take inside the top 300 in that that obp draft and hold format
2: yeah, if I can get him closer to that three hundred, like two after two seventy five, I would definitely consider that. But if he's going closer to two hundred, um, I'd be out there. like I said, if he's not up until you know July, which I think is a pretty good possibility, um, I just I just don't want to waste you know have one of my top, uh, you know what twelve to fifteen guys be a guy. That I'm I'm only having for half a season. So, uh, but closer to three hundred, I'd definitely be interested.
1: Yeah, I mean, he is. He's going to be fascinating because, I mean, he's another guy where I think he's just going to rake in spring training and people are just going to just fall all over themselves and be like, I got to get I got to get J-Rod. I got to I got to pop. I got to reach for J-Rod here because it's looking like he's the best player in Mariners camp. And then, I mean, if if they had the if they had the nerve to send him to high A to open last year, I mean, better believe they going to be willing to keep him at triple a for um longer than they should so i right i i think yeah i think you're right i think for for draft and hold he is pretty appealing um you know late 200s uh right around 300 but you're just not going to get him there i mean the the name value is 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 too high so um you know this is it, you know, if you wanna if it's all about just having fun and just getting your guys, you know, go go nuts. but I just don't really think that's the the smart play. And uh, you know, outfielders, i I ended up uh, running into some trouble with my o f five spot in fifteen teamers uh, towards the end of last year. It just it just dried up. But you know, on draft day, there are gonna be outfielders I like, veteran boring outfielders who are gonna be going in the middle of the 200s who, you know, are going to play every day, um, right away. So, uh, even though it is outside the top 200, that is still a, a pick where you can get some value. Um, what do you think about, um, you, you mentioned you'd have O'Neill Cruz up in that, that top tier. And and he did, unlike all of these guys, O'Neill Cruz has made his big league debut already. Uh, what's your read on, whether they break camp with him, send him back to AAA. Um, when do you think Cruz is, is back up in the big leagues?
2: Yeah. First of all, it was, it was kind of surprising to see him get that cup of coffee last year. Um, but as of right now, I think there's a pretty good chance, I'll say 65, 70% or so, that he breaks camp as the starting shortstop. And he's, he's, yeah, he doesn't have any AAA experience. He they called him up from A. But, you know, he's really, you know, maybe not excelled at every level, but he's performed very well at every level. And I I like he did have six games at at AAA, my bad. Um, But still, and he had five home runs in those six games. So obviously not a lot of AAA seasoning, but, you know, he's he hit 310 altogether last year, 375 OBP, 594 slugging, 17 home runs, 68 games. So I think they don't have really anybody else on the roster as of now. That could really start over him or should start over him, I should say. And obviously, Pittsburgh's probably not bringing in anybody of note, maybe a, a stopgap just to have some depth in case he doesn't, he looks bad in spring training, which is possible. But uh, I, I think he's going to break camp. So, and that that power late round, I, I think he's not going to cost more than a late round pick. Um, like you, you even put the ADP on here. I think um, that 300, 330 range, I think that's probably where he, he ends up. And know power from that spot. A little bit of speed too. Uh, you, you can you can do worse back there. So yeah, Cruz is the guy I'm gonna be targeting back there. So, you know, with him already having debuted,
1: they almost have to manipulate his service time, Um unless the CBA gets tweaked to a way that kind of allows it, because, um. You know, he, he his clock's already started, so if he if he breaks camp on the big league roster, uh they would only have six more years with him, um if the CBA stays the same. So I'm just I don't know. I, I think it's and and let me get your take on this or let me ask you, where where do you have him ranked uh overall as a as a prospect? Because he was the biggest surprise to me uh of the early guys in, in Chris Welsh's uh P one ADP mocks. I just did not realize until that process that a lot of people had him as like a top 15 prospect. And um, I definitely get the case, but where, where do you have him ranked?
2: Yeah, I read through with you. I was kind of surprised where he's, where he went in some of the drafts. I think he went top 10 and a a couple of them. Um, I don't have him quite top 15, but I'm currently 24th. So I I think definitely top 30 prospect, no doubt with what he's capable of and his proximity to the majors.
1: Do you see a like a normal sort of amount of early risk here against big league pitching with him? Do you see? Um, I mean, I think the up the upside is very easy to understand with his power, uh, the fact that he's going to run a little bit. Um, but do you see like with just how big he is, how big his strike zone is going to be? Yeah. Um, do you see some like? big time bust potential early on with him um i mean obviously if if jared kalanick can be as bad as he was then um most of the guys we're talking about could be pretty bad but like how how do you see sort of the the safety um and downside with cruz
2: i think there definitely is a big downside no pun intended because of his long levers, that huge strikes, and like you mentioned, he's six seven. He might even be. I think six seven might be a little. He might be six eight, six nine. I won't be surprised. He looks a bit, a little bit taller than six seven. But uh, yeah, I can see them. You know, major league pitching is the best in the world for a reason. They change eye levels. and, you know bust him up with fastballs and drop the, the soft stuff down. Uh, I think. I think he's going to have. I think the average isn't going to be there. I, I still think that he's going to. He'll get some home runs. Like he'll you know connect on some. I think he could be. You know, in a full season, I think he could be like a. I don't know, 20 homer, 10 to 12 steel type, uh, if, he, if he gets a full season's worth of a bats, but that might come with like a 220 average or so. I think it's really sort good, of, yeah, how Pittsburgh wants to handle him in the service time, uh, but I think the average is going to be the part that's not quite there, even though he's always adjusted pretty well uh, in every level in the minors, but again, major league pitching is the best in the world, so I could see a, a lower average this year for sure.
1: Also, like... Was it is it just me, or was there a bigger gap than we've ever seen between AAA pitching and big league pitching this past year? I've, I just feel like you saw some guys come up and they were just completely lost. Like, it actually was most guys. Almost, almost everyone who made the jump from AAA to the big leagues was terrible, and then would go back to AAA and just be awesome. It just seems like that gap has expanded. Is that just sort of uh, me... Not knowing what I'm talking about, or do you did you notice that as well?
2: No, I definitely did. You're, you're spot on there. It was definitely was a lot more fluctuation than we've I think we've come a, to be accustomed to over the last handful of years just with, with all the talented young players. Like yeah, even even the top. You look look at the guys. Some of the guys that are in the running for Rookie of the Year. You know, even like you know even a, at least Garcia wasn't a finalist. I think he should have been. But even he, had, you saw him have the up and ups and downs. Obviously, my boy Jared Kelnick was terrible for for a good four months of the season and had to go back down and then came back up later in the year um you only really two that i can think of that didn't struggle i'm probably missing somebody but jonathan india looked pretty damn good all year and um you know, wander franco and even he kind of had a, a slower start he was at like 250 something through the first few weeks but yeah i think it's definitely a, a bigger gap than we're used to and i'm not i can't put my finger on w- exactly why though like I, I don't do you have any ideas as to like why that might be um um
1: i just think uh there were a ton i mean there were a ton of really really bad pitchers pitching at triple a last year um it you noticed i noticed a gap at between double a AA and triple a where uh a lot of hitters were performing better at AAA than they did at double a and that's like it you know, regardless of the, the PCL or the, the old PCL, I mean, I, obviously there are some hitter friendly parks at AAA, a, but um, you know, just relative to league average, a lot of guys just played better at AAA than they did at double a. And I think that's because there were more pitchers with electric stuff at double a, AA, whereas AAA was kind of uh, you just had a lot of kind of uh, up and down arms, long relief type of guys pitching there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's, I think there's there's a lot of arguments for just kind of um ignoring pretty much every person we're talking about on this episode and going for (laughs) uh veteran big leaguers because uh there's just such a level of uncertainty around how these guys are going to perform even though even the very best guys um let's move down uh and talk about um some sort of less heralded guys um some of these guys are, are household names but um let's try to unpack this Royal situation behind Bobby Witt. Uh you've got Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, um both just had ridiculous minor league seasons, both finished the year at AAA, both uh raked at double A AA and AAA. Um, and then you have Kyle Ispel, who was kind of up and down between the big leagues and triple A. He really finished strong in the big leagues. I think Ispel has a pretty good chance to make the the roster as a starter uh, out of spring training how do you see Prado and Melendez getting playing time this year and are you interested in them in like a draft and hold type of format uh
2: I am a little bit I'm actually the most interested in Isbell as I do agree he has the best chance of breaking camp. Obviously they kind of have two outfield spots kind of locked up right now with two cold glove winners in Benintendi and Benintendi and Michael Taylor, but I can see him slotting in, you know, in, in, right field with them. The other two, even though I like both of them, I moved them way up. They're both, you know, top 50 caliber prospects, I believe, but I gotta wonder how, how they fit in. Like, I know I. F- it feels like to me that Kansas City still likes Hunter Doja, and he'll get another shot. And he, he showed up a little bit end of the year, so I think he does get another shot, and probably the first baseman. And then even if Witt is up early, like I think we both think he's going to be, that puts him at probably you know they said probably third. And I could see them giving Mondesi some time at DH, uh, which would be kind of the, the pathway for both Prado. And Melendez, or at least to some degree, so. And then you got, you know, still got Nicky Lopez at short. So, I, I wonder if Prado and Melendez, even though they're probably ready, I think they both showed that they're ready with how they performed this year in the upper minors. I think they might be mid-season guys. So Isbell, though, with the, you know the sneaky power speed, especially that speed, uh, he showed that he could be like a twenty-five steal guy in the major league level over a full season. That's a guy that I think I could get. Yeah, you know, and he's not a obviously not the huge prospect. He's never an elite prospect in anyone's rankings, really. So I think that's a guy you can get for a really, really reasonable price, you know, late in drafts. I could really surprise.
1: Yeah, no, I mean I think you could get him well outside the top 350 or so. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's you know, playing time's the name of the game, and it's uh it's tough to see where Prado and Melendez break in. And you know that they're not going to want those guys breaking in as, as bench players. So, right. Um, yeah, that'll be one to watch in spring training. Uh, we got to head to a quick message from our sponsors. When we come back, we will talk about the potential replacement for Buster Posey. If there's one thing we appreciate here at RotoWire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down on blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W Y N N B E T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcasts. All right, Eric. Uh, Joey Bart is a guy who has been on the dynasty radar and redraft radar for years now. Um, the way is finally clear. Buster Posey announcing his retirement. Um, I am quite low on Joey Bart as a prospect on my top 400. I just think that you're looking at kind of a classic, um, home runs and and kind of not much else type of catcher where the batting average is going to be problematic um what's your what's your take on on joey bart now that now that he has a chance to get uh, be the primary catcher there in san francisco
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
2: Um, yeah I'm at least intrigued by Joey Bart you mentioned the power big raw power that's the kind of the one part of his game that's remained consistent since he was drafted out of Georgia Tech a few years ago but yeah I kind of went from thinking he was a you know 50 hit 60 you know game power type of catcher to maybe he's 40 45 hit long term or he's more of a 240 250 guy instead of a 270 or so where it's a kind of thought he w- was going to be and the, the approach you know even though he was never a huge walk rate guy it's just he's kind of been toiling around you know six ish percent k rates kind of gone up uh since his time in, in college obviously it's uh, for everybody it goes up from college but for him it's really he's kind of transformed into a hitter that i didn't think he was going to be a lesser hitter than i think he was going to be i still have him top 100 in my prospect rankings because so i think he could be a 25 plus homer bat. But um, for 2022, I said I'm more intrigued. He's a guy that I would take as my second catcher. So I think if he can get 20-25 home runs, that's very valuable from your second catcher, even if the average is only 230-240. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to be given the chance to to start. I don't think they're going to bring in anybody. I really don't see that. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think he could be a, a decent second catcher this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, i I wouldn't rule out them bringing someone in. Um... I mean, it would probably be kind of a a defense first type of guy. Um, yeah, just kind of a, a caretaker until they decide Bart or Patrick Bailey's ready. But um, you know, it's going to be a it'd be a huge step back. Like even if Joey Bart, even if Joey Bart went out there and hit like two forty five with twenty homers, uh, you're talking about a huge step back defensively from Buster Posey to Bart, and then obviously offensively. Like I just I don't think it's realistic for Bart to come close to what Posey did last year. So, agreed. I mean, if the Giants are serious about you know trying to win a World Series, I feel like they might have to bring someone in. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see. It's not like it's not like bringing in a good catcher is, is easy to do on the free agent <laughs> market. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think you know catcher two and a fifteen teamer where you start two catchers, I think that's that's fine. I just I would expect him to. Hurt your batting average in 2022. Um, Arguably, the most impressive statistical hitter in all the minors last year was Jose Miranda with the Twins. Uh, I think that the most interesting thing to talk about with Miranda is: Do you see a way for him to break in early in the season? Uh, Like you know, he's not he's not behind a a ton of you know big names, guys like Luis Arias, uh, Nick Gordon, but the twins really only have one guy and Nick Gordon who can play capable shortstop. So that kind of means Polanco is going to be playing second base. Um, you know, is, is Miranda going
2: to need an injury to break through? Possibly. But then again, I don't think that's asking much with this twins team. Like sure. just, look, just look at, th- well, he
1: can't Man. play center field,
2: right? Yeah. That'd be, that'd be nice. We, we know that's spot will open up in about, you know, early part of may, unfortunately. Um, but, but, you look, look at third base with Josh Donaldson and he, he's still a decent header when he's on the field, but you know, he had you know, at the same time, he can't stay on the field. Like we've, we've seen that. Uh, I don't think he's played a, you know, 150 plus games in forever. So with him getting, he's not getting any younger either. He's, I think he's almost 36 now, maybe even 37. I think he may be 37 at some point next year. So not getting any younger. Um, these injuries are going to be more and more frequent for him probably. So I can definitely see uh him breaking through. And even if they move Polanco to short and have Ari- uh, Arias at second, and I'm not a big Arias guy. So I, I could see some a couple different pathways for Miranda to get everyday playing time early in the season. Yeah. It probably will take an injury, but again, that's not too hard with this team. So uh, I, I guy I'm definitely intrigued by more so in the draft and holds, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the, the 30, 40th round summers back there, but um, yeah, definitely intriguing as you mentioned he was just so damn impressive this year and even it's got better when he went to triple a as well just kept hitting for average and, and power so uh definitely uh one that i got on my list for draft and holds
1: yeah it's a it's a frustrating uh depth chart really when i look at it because like it I, <laughs> I, you know, miguel sanos not good um josh donaldson i think they'd love to trade but they're not going to be able to uh luis arise like i'm I'm there with you. I mean, he can hit for a high batting average, but that's pretty much all he can do. Exactly. Uh, Nick Gordon, I think, is going to get overdrafted um, just based on the the speed he provided down the stretch last year. Uh, you know, I don't know. Can Can Miranda play left field? Um, you know, Maybe. they they still they still have Kirillov coming back and uh, Larnick. I mean, it's a uh, one of those where you, you just wish you could just remove Miguel Sano and Josh Donaldson from the roster and just right. go go all young guys. But it's it's uh, gonna be
2: really intriguing to see like how they use Miranda in spring training. That might that might be telling of how they you know their thoughts of him for this year. So that's just something I'll be able to keep an eye on.
1: What do you? What's your take on uh, Bryson Stott, uh, who obviously has risen his prospect star a little bit with what he did or what he's doing in the, the AFL? Uh, the Phillies have a spot for him. Um, you know, if we assume the DH goes to the National League, then Reese Hoskins is your DH, Alec Boehm's your first baseman, and you can put Stott over at uh, third base. So uh, the decks are the decks are clear. For Bryson Stott, when do you think we see him?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I I got a couple of live looks at him when I was out there last month. And, yeah, he was very impressive. A lot of hard-hit balls, really was uh, looked really in control of his bats, was very patient at the plate waiting for a pitch to drive. And he got up to AAA a little bit last year in only 10 games, but um, really quietly excelled all year. You know, he didn't have the huge numbers, but at the same time he hit 301, 368 OBP, you know, 10 home runs and six deals in 80 games at double a like the overall 299 hitter across 112 games with 16 home runs you know that'll play and i think he's never gonna be a guy that stands out maybe not an all-star type of guy but definitely could be an above average offensive infielder that could hit for a solid average good amount of pop Uh, you know maybe 20 25 homer guy a little bit of speed as well not a lot but maybe a guy that adds like five or eight um which any any speed helps is my kind of motto in, in fantasy even if you're just getting five or eight from a few guys that definitely helps um so yeah i think you're you hit it spot on there's definitely a chance for him to break through uh probably at third base From the looks of it um maybe he could be as early as april i think that's, that's a possibility but if i had to guess probably more like a june eta but yeah definitely a guy that i'd be taking in draft and holds
1: yeah, I mean, his his skill set isn't all that different from a guy like Jonathan India's. Um,
2: no, nah, this we, pretty slow on.
1: We saw, I mean, I, I definitely did not see what India did last year coming. Uh, that one really took me uh, by surprise. But, I mean, Stott's probably a more well-thought-of prospect this time um, this year than, than India was uh, a year ago. So uh, something to keep in mind and i mean i think we'll we'll kind of know how close he is to the big leagues based on how the phillies spend their offseason cuz this is a team that's kind of in perpetual win now mode so if they do not address um i mean they're going to need to sign like a couple infielders regardless cuz they just don't have anyone um, backing up their starters but you know if they only bring in like one or two guys and they're not big names on big contracts i mean i think we could see him up very early uh these next two teams, Cleveland and Pittsburgh, have a have a couple guys apiece that I just I really like all four of these guys and it's just a matter of when are they up, do they get to play every day? Um, with Cleveland you got Steven Kwan and Richie Palacios. With Pittsburgh you got Travis Swaggerty who um, barely played last year, suffered a season-ending injury, but he's going to be ready to go for spring training and Diego Castillo, who they acquired from the Yankees. Eric, out of those four guys, who is your favorite uh, just for 2022?
2: Probably Steven Kwan. I think he might have the easiest path to regular playing time, the soonest. Out of those, you mentioned Shragher coming back from injury. That might delay him a bit. I think Palacios is definitely getting close, and he's been – Very impressive, especially out out in the Arizona Fall League as well. Just really impressive wherever he goes. Solid little power speed blend there as well. I think the power is definitely ticking up with him So like him long term. But yeah, Kwan and he's one that kind of broke onto the map this year. Had some success before, you know, 2020, but uh, more so in the low minors. Never had the big power. Doesn't still doesn't have big power, but power has come along. 12 home runs, 77 games, got 26 games in at, at AAA. So. With how bad Cleveland's outfield is right now, there's I think there's a decent chance he's up pretty early. So out of these four, I like them all, and I've, I've always been a pretty big Swaggerty guy as well. I think I would t- if I had to take one for 2022, I would take Stephen Kwan.
1: Yeah, I mean these four are guys where, like I I want all four in a draft and hold honestly, and I think they're all going to come dirt cheap, especially if you're doing a draft and hold this month. Uh, especially before like ADP gets out and stuff, I mean, you might be able to get all four of these guys after the 35th round or something like that. I, I don't know if that's realistic or not, but I mean, they are not big names by by any stretch, especially for the redraft crowd. And like Cleveland, just always has these super flawed and underwhelming outfield prospects. You know, the like Daniel Johnsons and Bradley Zimmers and Oscar Mercados. I mean, I think Miles Straw brings enough to the table where he should be able to play every day and and lead off, but uh they might have two open spots in that outfield in yeah. spring training. So um, you know, Quan and and Palacios, I mean, they're they're guys that, that control the strike zone. Um, Swaggerty is the guy that sort of has some fantasy, um, appeal because i mean he could steal 20 bases uh that's that's kind of what intrigues me about him and he could do a little bit of everything else as well and i mean their their outfield is far from uh, established either so uh like all four of those guys steven kwan richie palacios with cleveland travis swaggerty diego castillo with the pirates um with the astros i think we can uh assume carlos correa will not be back at shortstop I think they are a contender to um, sign Marcus Semyon because of how his pole side power would play uh, with the Crawford boxes. Oh yeah. But let's say they, let's say they just really think that one of Jeremy Payne or Pedro Leon, maybe even a combination of those guys gives them uh, what they need at shortstop next year. What's your read on how that would go between those two guys?
2: I'm leaning over towards Pedro Leon. I do like Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Pena as well. Um, and, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, he's a, he's went to the University of Maine, too. And I live in Maine. So it's always nice to see someone that comes out of Maine, even though he, obviously he's not from Maine. But to see yeah, a U-Maine guy doing well in the minor leagues. It doesn't happen too often. But I'm, I'm more of a Leon guy. Now, obviously, he's, you know, kind of a, one of those boomer buzz type of prospects, Obviously, didn't have a lot of, you know, there's a, a huge layoff for him. Um, 2019, 2020, really two full years without having any competitive game action due to him coming over from uh, from Cuba and then obviously the, the lockdown pand- during the pandemic. And you saw that he was very rusty early on in the year. He was striking out a ton, not hitting for average. But like every month, like the average kept creeping up, the walk rate kept going up. The K rate came down considerably month to month where he was uh, like a 20, I think it was like 22% K rate or, or like a 14% walk rate. And it's it about a month before he uh, went on the IL. Uh, so yeah, he's definitely very intriguing and he nice little power speed blend. He could be like a 2020 type of guy, or at least flirt with it every you know, each year. So we'll see how the hit tool comes along see if those, those gains he made with the plate approach can stick next year. But uh, I think there's definitely a chance he's there uh, starting shortstop by you know midseason, not the absolute latest that they don't bring in. Like just said, will be a great fit. I've heard some faint Trevor Story rumblings. We'll see, obviously. But yeah, definitely a little more intrigued by Pedro Leon.
1: Yeah, you know, I... Again, I, I kind of think they bring in um, someone like Semyon, but, uh, you know, Jeremy Pena... I think he's got to be added to the 40 man uh before the rule five draft. And he <laughs> it's funny, like he had a, a he really surged at triple A at the end of the year. And like at that same time, Pedro Leon was was hurt. And I think a lot of people are gonna read into how much Pedro Leon struggled in the Arizona Fall League. Uh to me that wasn't that surprising. I mean, I think you nailed it in terms of Leon's uh, long-term upside. And he might be one of the biggest wild cards for 2022 redraft leagues because he has this insane upside with the power and the speed. Um, but I just, I wonder if he need doesn't need maybe a, a few more months at AAA before he's ready. So, if they were to not bring anyone in, I could see Jeremy Pena getting that job pretty early on. Now I think he would struggle to be a positive contributor offensively. Um, But that'll, that might be one of the the ones of all the ones we're talking about to really watch in spring training, because like that might tell us sort of how ready Pedro Leon is. And like if Pedro Leon has a, has a big spring training, then I'm going to start, uh, moving him up at least my sort of draft and hold board. Um but yeah, I mean it, it might be a couple months um, before we see either of those guys. And and again they they probably are at least going to be involved with some of these free agents. Um what's your what's your just general take on Seth Beer? Uh he's a guy who's just kind of been around forever. We've been waiting for the NL to get the DH so that he can be the Diamondbacks DH, at least against right-handed pitching. Is he boring is he exciting um do you, do you care about Seth beer anymore
2: i do I, I really do like you said he's a bat for bat only guy that i'm glad that the dh is mostly come to the nL because I was really kind of wondering where he fits in uh these they have to throw him in left field or something or at first base and you know take the take the uh the negative there from his defensive value but i still think he's gonna be a you know a solid major league hitter i don't think he's gonna be a guy that it stands out you know, in any category, but you know, he's shown at least a, at least an average hit tool, I think. Maybe even you could say above average contact skills. I think he could be, you know, 270, 275 type of hitter. Uh, he's always shown a pretty solid walk rate as well. So I think the OBP will be decent uh, to go along with that average. And then, you know, not a 30 35 homer bat, but, you know, 25. Maybe he runs into some 30 homer seasons at peak, maybe 31, 32. I think much more than that. But, yeah, I think he's super uh, intriguing, especially um, the DH comes. I think he could be a 270-20 type of bat next year with 500-plus with plate appearances. So definitely one that um, I'm going to be keeping an eye on to see if that playing time opens up for him, whether you know they want him to start in, in the field, if there's no DH, or obviously he's a prime candidate for their DH spot. So yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by Seth Beer, even if he's, he's not the super sexy name, but that could make him a decent value in drafts too.
1: So these next two guys are fairly sexy i'll say they're fairly sexy uh josh Lowe and vidal brujan with the rays um you know it's it's not that the rays don't give their young players opportunities it's just that it can be really frustrating in weekly leagues because they just are always oozing a ton of talent at all these positions and you just you know that like getting five starts in a week is is kind of the best case scenario even for their their best guys um is there a way for for low and bruhan to be viable early in the season I mean anything we say here could just be completely irrelevant after the Rays make like five moves this off season but <laughs> how, how do you see it playing out for for low and bruhan in 2022
2: Man, I hope they do. I love both these guys and they bring, they both bring speed. Obviously, Bruhan more. I think he could be, you know, a 30 plus steel guy, but I think Lowe's at least a 20 steel guy uh, with 15 to 20 home runs. And you've seen the hit tool, the contact skills have kind of improved incrementally as he's kind of climbed the ladder um, to the point where he was hitting for the highest average he's ever hit for in the minor leagues last year. And he had a 291. Uh, He was his previous career best at any level was uh 268 so uh i love josh law i'm very very high on josh law i think he's very underrated uh in terms of just one of the top being the, one of the top prospects in baseball for fantasy purposes and obviously brujan has that huge speed but it's just so hard because obviously brujan can play second or outfield but i wish one of these guys was a corner infielder that's really the best you know way for them to break in and well yeah, you're not
1: you're not playing over g-man
2: Choi. G <laughs> Man Choi, I it's hard. Like, you can't not like G Man Choi, even he's had some clutch hits against my Red Sox. I still love the guy. It's, it's look at that smile, it's infectious, but uh, yeah, I think their two weakest spots are probably that at the corners, even though you know there's no slight to G Man Choi or Joey Wendell. Uh, but that'd be easier to break in there as opposed to trying to, you know, yeah, Brendan, uh, Brendan Lowe at second base. Uh, obviously he's you know not moving off of there anytime soon. Outfield, a Rosa Reina, Kevin Kiermeyer, his defensive value in center field is huge. Uh, and you got you know Meadows out there too. We hope he'll deach some as well. But yeah, it just I don't see where they break in early in the season, unfortunately, without an injury. But uh, there's definitely guys if I have you know deep benches, deep rosters, draft and holds, definitely two guys that I'm definitely gonna try to get everywhere. Um just because of their offensive upside and it might just take an injury or two. And we I mean, know Austin Meadows hasn't really been the most durable guy in his career either. So I think it might take an injury, but I'm definitely super intrigued. But I love both these guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would one hundred percent expect this raised depth chart to look different in some oh, yeah. way. Um, you know, three months from now. they just they always make some moves. You know, I imagine a couple of these guys are approaching arbitration, so I mean that's terrifying <laughs> for the Rays. So, <laughs> they're they're um, scared. Uh, you know, I like look. Josh Lowe is big league ready. Uh, Agreed. I'm a little I'm a little lower on Bruhan's bat than I am with with Low, and it's not like Low. Look, Lowe's not going to hit like 275, but um, and I I think Lowe is one of those sort of rare guys where. Even if he sits against lefties, I think he could go twenty twenty in his prime because of just that that power speed. And um, I yeah. mean he's, he's gonna be more of an OBP guy than a batting average guy. So I just I hope that they just suck it up and and attach a prospect to get off of Kiermaier or, or whatever they gotta do. Because uh I think Lowe is ready. I think you could break Bruhan in in um you know, just kind of a a util role. I mean, I don't think that'd be the end of the world. Obviously for fantasy, it wouldn't be ideal, but um, yeah, I mean, I think in draft and holds, you might be able to get these guys at a value just because right now it looks like they're super blocked and they might not be super blocked uh, when we get to spring training. But again, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't reach for either guy. Um, Agreed. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a Jake Berger guy, uh, which I never thought I'd say I didn't like him in the draft, but uh, after watching him at AAA a bit last year and in the majors, uh, I kind of like Jake Berger. Um, he is extremely blocked, and I don't see that changing. Uh, Romy Gonzalez, Mick Rodolfo, also pretty blocked with the White Sox. Uh, the Cardinals, you've got Juan Lopez, Brendan Donovan, Alec Burleson. They're all pretty blocked. I mean, we, we just talked about Nolan Gorman. Where the hell is he going to play? Uh, if we can't find a spot for Nolan Gorman, <laughs> I'm right. not going to find a spot for these guys. Um, do you see sort of any guy on the, on the Cardinals or the white Sox that you're, you're you love the skill and you're just like, well, if you could find a spot or are these guys just ones to kind of forget about for 2022.
2: The one I like the most, and he's gotten a lot of hype. He's blowing up on Twitter. I right know one Yepes, I saw him out in the AFL. He just, he just looks the part of a major league hitter. Obviously he's kind of one of those guys where he doesn't really have a definitive defensive home. He's played some, some of the corners, some outfield as well. well. See where he ends up long-term, but I would love for him to get some time uh, at the major league level this year. But like you said, if Nolan Gorman's not a sure bet for playing time, you know, you won your as good as he's been. He's behind Gorman in that depth chart. And um, so maybe it takes an injury for him to kind of break through, but that's the one I'm I'd be most intrigued by just because what he's shown the ability hit for average hit for power and take the walk when he needs to, uh, yeah, definitely a name that I'm keeping an eye on, see how that playing time situation shakes out for him. So
1: you follow the Red Sox pretty closely. Um, you know, I saw a report, uh, that they would be open to bringing Kyle Schwarber back, uh, even after JD Martinez opted in. I mean, I think, um, there's a lot to like with how Bobby Dahlback finished the year. Uh, I am not a Jaron Duran guy. I just don't think he's uh, a starting outfielder in the big leagues. And I think on a team like the Red Sox, you can't expect a guy like that to be given a job right out of spring training. Um, you know, Jeter Downs was terrible until the Arizona Fall League, and then he was good. Do you see any. Any appeal uh, with Duran or Downs for 2022?
2: I think a little more appeal with actually with Jeter Downs and with with Duran. I'm with you. I, I it's been a, a definitely a love hate relationship for me with with, with Duran. Obviously, he had the big start to 2019 uh, down in High A. Then he got up to Double A, which is my home league, the Eastern League uh, here in Portland, Maine and he was terrible. He looked overmatched. He was just turning everything over. So many weak groundouts to second base and I and I saw him 20-ish times uh that second half of the season. So I'm there multiple times a week and he just looked overmatched. Then he got the, you know, the the hand slot change with the swing mechanics and the power got unlocked and he got excited again and then he looked like crap in the major. So I I agree. I honestly don't think he's ever going to be a starter for the Red Sox. Maybe on a, a you know, a lesser team. Um I, I could see the Red Sox trading him. I, I don't know what they're going to be doing in, in free agency here uh, in this off season, but I can see them trading him for, You know, maybe for a pitcher or another bat. We'll see how they do. If they bring him back score, I think that'll be huge, but they have plenty of guys playing in the outfield already. Like you, you already have two guys locked in the Verdugo, Renfro without question, locked into that outfield, with what they bring both offensively and defensively. And then I, you, you can play, you know, Kike out there as well. You can play some center. Uh, so I just don't see Duran getting much of a shot, especially early in the year. But Downs, you know, with what he showed in the AFL, where he was one of the best hitters out there, if he has a big spring training, could take that second base spot, especially if they don't bring back Schwarber, and that moves Kike more so to outfield as opposed to second base. That could open up second base for him. We have, what, Christian Arroyo. I don't think he should be taking that starting job and running with it. So a big spring, you could see Jeter Downs maybe get that starting gig. Wouldn't surprise me.
1: Yeah and uh to your point uh th- this very early uh, ADP that I got from Zach uh Jeter Downs going inside the top 500 of, of both of these early draft and holds uh, a higher ADP than Nolan Gorman so uh you know people people buy into the the AFL um results uh with a lot of these guys so if you want Jeter Downs you might not be able to get him as late as you think. Um, I probably won't take him inside the top 500, but, um, that's where you might have to take him. Uh, I really wanted to to quickly just mention these, these angels guys, Brendan Davis, not to be confused with, uh, Brendan Davis of the Cubs, <laughs> but Brendan with a D, um, Michael Stefanik, uh, both of these guys are infielders, um, they both raked at triple a they both their bats seem like they're ready for the big leagues uh stefanik is a really bad defender which is partly why he never got a shot last year um but i don't really see any way for those guys to break in with the angels especially given that they are sort of uh the phillies of the al where they're just in perpetual win now mode um but I, i did just want to mention those guys for people in draft and holds uh, Brendan Davis and Michael Stefanik, both guys, uh, strong hit tools, strong power, um, or at least the potential for those uh, two traits. Um, so just wanted to, to mention those. Um, this next tier, uh, I labeled opportunity plus uh, low probability. And what I mean by that is like these guys all have a fairly clear path to playing time early in the season, but I just don't think they're ready to be positive offensive contributors in the big leagues um is there anyone that i have in this tier where you would maybe take offense to that characterization and and roll the dice on them in a draft and hold
2: Eh, not really you know the, <laughs> the rockies guys you know intrigue me a little bit uh, i can see them getting a shot i know people are gonna be like oh here's eric going to the rockies wall again trust me, this is not a you know Garrett Hampson situation with me. I don't love these guys, but I could see, you know, a scenario where they break in early, you know, if Brendan Rogers, you know, he, he looks like the starter at second base, but he's had his durability issues. So maybe um, someone can break in or the the outfield right now is Connor Joe. Yeah. Nice little flash in the pan. Is he for real? Who knows? Blackman's getting older. I wouldn't be surprised if they just dealt him this off season. That wouldn't shock me at all. Sam Hilliard still kind of like, but obviously very inconsistent. So I could see a, a future where they're one of these guys is up by the All Star break, but um, that's probably about it.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think with just that thirty second answer, you've spent more time thinking about this than the Rockets have themselves. So um, <laughs> probably,
2: yeah.
1: I I don't know <laughs> if it's even productive to to go down that that rabbit hole. It's uh, probably not talking about Rocky prospect playing time. Um, what about this next tier? I mean, in this one, we've got a lot of like big name prospects, like top 100 type of guys who, uh, maybe had really strong showings at Double A, but not, maybe not going to debut in the first half or at least the first couple of months. But do you see anyone on here where maybe you take issue with that assessment?
2: No, not really. I would love to see I love Miguel Vargas and Michael Bush, but obviously it's taken up until September for Gavin Lux to get time. And now looks like he might finally be the, the unquestioned starter at second base. Uh, So I don't know where those guys fit in without an injury though. I love, you know, their ability to hit for, you know, average Bush has a great OBP, both got solid pop. Um, maybe Freeman, uh, real, I love Freeman's hit tool, you know, a little bit of power speed as well. I think he could maybe be a guy that, um, with, with that high hit tool, he's a guy that can transition pretty easy, more easily than most, I think, to the major league. So maybe a Freeman uh, it could be intriguing. Uh, but outside of that, like, you know, Peraza, I love Peraza. I just don't see an opening <laughs> with him in the, I think they're going to, they're a lock to bring in one of those big five. Probably it's probably Seager or um, maybe Correa. I think any of the, one of those five is going to be, in there with with Gleyber shifting over to second base. So I just don't see Peraza getting that shot, unfortunately, but um, a lot of intriguing names here, you know, Perdomo I think could take over for Nick Ahmed at some point. Uh, I think he's a a better long-term option. So he's one, maybe I'll take a flyer on in in deeper draft and holds that I think I can get pretty late just because he doesn't have that huge, sexy name or the sexy profile It's more like that high floor, better in real life type of guy. Um, but yeah, outside of that, there's all the other guys I just, I'm not really that interested in for 2022. Yeah, I mean,
1: the Yankees just don't really graduate um, good hitting prospects anymore. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, Glaber obviously was good as a rookie, um, Aaron Judge has been good. But yeah, I mean, I think my buddy Todd Whitestone, who's a Yankees fan, was sort of questioning the idea of why they would go after one of those uh, big five because they've got Volpe on the way because they've got Aswald Peraza who's uh, close to ready, but it's just, it's the Yankee way. Uh, You got to bring in, got to bring in a a big uh, stud on a huge contract and uh, make your prospects really earn it. Um,
2: Yeah. Like in that position that that shortstop for the Yankees, it's like one of the more, probably the top five most premier positions in all of sports. I think like
1: mm-hmm. Dallas
2: Cowboys quarterback, you know, like Lakers point guard, you know, these types of positions, like Yankee shortstop, just because of Derek Jeter, he made that the, the position that it is now. So yeah, yeah I think um, maybe I'm breathing too much into that, but yeah, I think they're definitely in the market for one of those five who it is. I don't know. Uh, I think Seager would be nothing to off topic, but Seager would be super intriguing with that lefty power in Yankee stadium. But I think, yeah, definitely someone's going to come in and that's going to unfortunately block Peraza and volt for at least a little bit.
1: Yeah. Let's, and you mentioned Tyler Freeman, Um, the Cleveland infield is it's kind of uh, a mess because, you know, you got Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario who, you know, Rosario showed flashes last year. Jimenez was a pretty big flop, but they probably are invested enough in Jimenez to give him another shot uh, this year. Then they've got Gabriel Arias who, you know, Gabriel Arias might be one of the more underrated prospects in the game right now, just because I, I, I never hear him talked about. And he was really solid at triple a last year as like a 21 year old, if I'm not mistaken. And so I just wonder if maybe he would get the shot before Freeman. And of course, Freeman, you know, you had the injury and, uh, that kind of cost him some developmental time last year. And then you've got Brian Rocio, um breathing down his neck as well. So, I mean, how do you sort of see everything playing out with that Cleveland infield in 2022, and then maybe even looking ahead to 2023?
2: Yeah, it's very intriguing because I like all these guys and I like areas too. And obviously, you know, Freeman and Roshio are both well in semi top 100 and Roshio in semi top 50. Um, so I I hope that they, they can find a way to make this work because I'm not, you know, I'm at Rosario is, is decent. I, I won't go higher than decent on him. Jimenez could be decent, but he's, hasn't shown nearly as much, even though he's a very good defender, but I think maybe he kind of is better suited as a, just a backup middle infielder, you know, defensive replacement type of guy. I don't think he hits enough to be an everyday, you know, starter at the major level, unfortunately. But yeah, I think, Arias probably is up first. He's the closest. He's played the most at the highest level um, in Triple A. Freeman's only had some time in Double A, so I think in terms of like pecking order for terms of ETA, it's probably Arias, then Freeman, then Roscio. Um, even though Rocio and Freeman could be pretty close, but long term, I like Roscio the most. I think this you know while he doesn't stand out in any one area, he just kind of does everything well. Hits for average, you know, some decent decent pop, sneaky pop, decent speed as well. So, I think long term, I think you see these two, um, two of these three guys as they're starting middle infield. I just couldn't really tell you which two it'll be.
1: I think, I think if everything goes perfectly, and this would even be kind of my guess if I was to kind of think about the way that front office might be thinking about it, you would be heading into the 2024 season with Rocio as your everyday shortstop and Freeman as your everyday second baseman. um, It's just a matter of kind of getting to that point. And then you, you kind of need none of Rosario Jimenez, uh, Arias. I'd even throw Owen Miller at second yeah. base. Like I, I kind of like Owen Miller's bat uh, still, even though he, he didn't do too well in the majors last year. Um, They've just got these, these four to five guys ahead of Rocio and Freeman where, Like if if one of them, you know, emerges as like a three win player, three and a half win player, then, um, you know, it's going to be tough to dislodge them. But uh, that'll be interesting to kind of see how that unfolds. Um, Is there any anyone else you want to talk about that we haven't covered in terms of a hitting prospect who could make waves in 2022?
2: I don't really see it. You know, maybe one of the Marlins guys. You know, Burdick, Blade, or maybe you know Ramos missed a lot of time. But I think that's about it. Uh, looking at all these other guys, I don't see anybody that's really going to be anybody I'm targeting this year. said so maybe I throw a late round draft and hold on one of those three that I just mentioned: Burdick, Blade, or Ramos. And Florial, you know, has that power, but I just doubt he gets a chance. So um, yeah, I think we I think we pretty much got them all.
1: All right. Well, um, if anyone wants to see basically the entire podcast outline, it is my most recent Farm Futures article, which you can find up on rotowire.com, rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10-day trial. Uh, Eric, um, you're one of the best in the biz. I always kind of marvel at, you know, you're one of the the nicest guys, too, in in the industry, really. And um, I just marvel at how much patience you have for people on Twitter, I, like I, I think that I, I do a pretty good job of responding to as many people as I can, and like if if I ever don't respond to someone on Twitter, it's it's just because I forgot. Um, but like Eric, you're, I feel like you're responding to like a tweet every every couple minutes, and I mean you're a man of the people, and I, I think that's why uh, you have such a devoted following. Is you're just you're there, um, you respond to anyone. You don't uh, like I've seen people come at you for like sometimes you just get into trouble because of how nice you are about responding to people. And then people get <laughs> mad at you for for responding to questions on Twitter. Um, I think it's it's really cool that, that you're that accessible. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find your work and what uh, the the most recent stuff you've been working on is?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for that. That was uh, the respect is mutual. I think you want you're one of the best out there. I, you were a guy, I looked at your work before I got into the industry myself. Um, so definitely the respect is mutual. Um, and yeah, when I broke in, that was one of the things I wanted to do was just be accessible. I didn't think it would turn into what it is now, but I just love talking baseball. So that definitely helps, but it, it's definitely like right now it's a little bit of a, of a reprieve where it's not as many questions now, obviously in November, it's kind of like the deadest month of the year for baseball in terms of fantasy. So uh, but yeah, thanks again for having me on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Eric Cross04, uh, Fantrax HQ for my written work. Also, uh, patreon.com slash tool Toolshed for both more content from myself and Chris Clegg, my podcast partner. Uh, and also, the Fantasy Baseball Black Book will be coming out in about a little over a month. I think it's December 15th. Don't hold me to that. It's right around that date, usually is that Joe Pizzapia puts out a lot of great people in there, like you know, Paul Spohr and Casey Bubba, many others. So a lot of great, great stuff in that as well. So, um, yeah, but again, thanks for having me on James. Always a pleasure talking with you.
1: Awesome, Eric. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks again.
2: Thanks.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you.